from the EAH team. Welcome to Everything About Hydrogen. This is the podcast that explores the world of hydrogen and its derivative technologies and interrogates how it is changing the world of energy as we know it. Join host Patrick Malloy, manager in the Breakthrough Technologies Group at RMI, Alicia Eastman, President of Intercontinental Energy, and Chris Jackson, CEO of Proteum, as the team speak to some of the most innovative and exciting players in the industry. If you're a fan of the show, we would love if you'd leave us a five-star review for everything about hydrogen wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help boost us up the charts and help more people find us. And with that, I'll leave it to the team and let's get on with the show. Hey, Patrick, how are you doing? I just read a quote of yours. Looks like a lot is going on in the U.S. That's always a worrying start to a to a conversation. Uh, no, good. I'm good, Alicia. Nice to to speak with you today. Looking forward to to speaking with our guest Pierre Etienne shortly enough. But um, but yes, we have uh, some level of clarity on uh, on some hubs things, and and as such, I'm very excited for our interview after this interview with uh, with Dr. Sunita Sachapal to talk about hydrogen and hydrogen hubs from the DOE perspective. So stay tuned. Throwing in an Easter egg. I see. I see. Well, what else could we do on a day such as this after months and months of uncertainty? But uh, now we've got a little bit more clarity. But that's tomorrow. Uh, That's not today. Today we've got somebody else coming in. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more. Yeah, we have a very exciting guest and it's my honor to introduce the High 24 CEO, Pierre Etienne Franck. He spent a quarter century developing Air Liquide's businesses, managing the use, research and development of hydrogen applications. As the Hydrogen Council's initiative secretary, Pierre Etienne and Air Liquide were joined by 12 other founding industry players advocating for hydrogen to help foster the energy transition, and that became Hydrogen Council. And in 2021, Pierre Etienne stepped away from Air Liquide to start a pure play hydrogen investment fund known as 5T Hydrogen, of which he is the chairman. And then 5T Hydrogen partnered with Ardian, which was formerly AXA, and launched a clean hydrogen infrastructure investment platform, and they dubbed it Hi24. So with Pierre Etienne at the helm, Hi24 raised Clean H2 Infra, the largest fund worldwide dedicated solely to clean hydrogen infrastructure deployment. Uh, totaling over 70 strategic finance and industry limited partners, the fund offers an ecosystem of opportunity to its various portfolio companies. And Hi24 has already announced uh, since the close last year, Seven investments, some of the most promising entrepreneurial adventures across Europe, Australia, and the Middle East. Adventures is their word, uh, That's uh, which I, I'm very excited by. And to support projects which will be among the largest in the world with gigawatts of competitive renewable capacity to decarbonize hard-to-abate established industries. Uh, High24 is color agnostic but the hydrogen must qualify under the European Taxonomy and Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulations, SFDR, in a way that it is Article 9 compatible. So whatever process is used, it needs to reduce emissions by a minimum 70 to 80 percent. 
And um, I, with that, I think we'll just get into it and let him tell us a little bit about himself and, and, and the fund and all of their recent successes. Sounds great. Let's get him on. Pierre Etienne, welcome to the Everything About Hydrogen podcast. We're absolutely delighted to have you with us. Um, for our listeners who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you and maybe don't know so much about you, would you be kind enough to introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you, uh, what you were doing before you came and started High24? Thank you. So thank you for uh, greeting me. I'm very excited to, to speak about uh, hydrogen again, <laughs> as I've been speaking for hydrogen a couple of years now, maybe more than 10 or 12, 12 years. I'm a French guy, as you can see with my accent. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been working uh, mostly uh, in uh, in France, but uh, traveling a lot uh, in my professional experience. Because after my business school, I went directly to work with the Air Liquide Group, which is one of the leading industrial gas player. And through that uh, that work uh, that work period, which lasted 25 years, I did uh, a lot of different things, but mostly large business developments in the energy, industrial gas, and steel making and management of large uh, subsidiaries of the group, especially the Benelux operations, which at the time were among the largest uh, cash flow generators for the group, but also are still the largest hydrogen pipeline operations that exist, not only for air liquid, but worldwide. In the last 10 years, I was in charge of uh, the portfolio of technology companies of the group, and of the incubation of new markets, which included hydrogen energy. And even though I had probably a range of 15 different companies with different fields of expertise to manage a little bit like a holding, I was spending probably 90% of my time around developing hydrogen because it's, it's by far the largest potential market for uh, the group at the time. It's also extremely exciting. Uh, that's why we're all together around hydrogen. And by the time I, I was very much involved uh, uh, in the development of the ecosystem, we, I chaired uh, and steered uh, Hydrogen Europe and the, and the European Fuel Cell GTI uh, during six years. Then I left, uh, steered and created and conceived this Hydrogen Council that gathered progressively 10, 13, 30, and then no 160 uh, CEOs uh, from all the, the segments to try to gather into the narrative of what's hydrogen role in the transition. We also at the time had venture activities. I, I steered and created a, the venture capital fund from the group, and we invested a lot. We invested into the first mobility application. We invested into the first uh, uh, large electrolyzers, the first PEM electrolyzers in Canada, first carbon capture, etc. And this is, by the way, during those years, mostly the last five years, that I came to the conclusion that we, we would need some time the financial community and we would need some time to invest more massively, restructured, which were very similar like fund managers. And that's basically the story of how finally I came into uh, this high 24 uh, journey. And it is an incredible story and obviously a huge amount of experience you bring to the table. Um, I mean, going from industry to fund management is definitely not an easy transition for anyone. Um, you know, what inspired you personally to say, you know, you wanted to step out from being in that leadership stage and, and essentially create what was a startup, right? I mean, we forget, but the fund world is a startup, right? It's a new company. It's a new structure. You know, taking that leap of faith to set it up and then 
also critically to be the face of that fund? What inspired you to do that and to be that person, I guess? Well, initially, really, when we launched this Hydrogen Council thing that uh, progressively many players gathered, uh, very rapidly I said we probably need to walk the talk. We, we explained the world that there is a big need for hydrogen. It's going to be a key player in the energy transition and all that stuff to 15 to 20% of the energy demand, etc. But if we don't bring forward massive investment potential, then we are stuck. So we need to move. And we started to popularize the idea with an early kid with a couple of industrial players of the council. The COVID came. It was basically a big fear for everyone that it would stop everything. But hopefully, because of all the narrative we had done, Europe took it and said it's part of the recovery plan. And at the time, because of the COVID, we did the advocacy around this notion of a fund relatively fast because we didn't have to travel anymore. So it was easier to do one hour pitch and then go to another pitch with an Asian and an American and a South American. So it was in a way expediting things. And progressively we came to the conclusion that the gathering was taking traction with the industrial players, not so much with the financial ones. And we had difficulty to find an asset manager to take that because it's a very nascent industry as everybody knows. And classical hydrogen is not nascent, but the new ones, uh, Power2X that uh, ICE knows very well, but uh, green hydrogen, all that was new. So having an asset manager saying, okay, I'm going to take that was not easy. So I rapidly came to the conclusion that if I was not trying to move to the next step and basically take the risk myself with a couple of, of colleagues that I would brought with me, was not certain it, could, it, would, it would work. Alors, of course, I had a very good position in early kid. It was very visible, etc. But I was becoming more a hydrogen guy than anything else. And, and the, the, you know, the, the strength, the power of driving forward something which is not only gigantic in terms of potential business, but also significant in terms of impact in the energy transition for helping the world to refocus properly into clean energy scheme is extremely attractive. And so at some point you need to choose what you want to do with your life. And, and I think it was better to try to start something new and, and to take the risk. Oh, when I look behind, I say, my gosh, in fact, I took a huge risk because indeed we were not at all certain that we would raise that fund. Then you discuss, it's like when you know this, when you, you jump into, into uh, something new, you discover whether you're creating something with you or not. There is a beautiful quote from Goethe saying that uh, whatever you think you can do, do it. Because action brings with itself grace, power, and magic. And it's a little bit what happened. There was, there was a momentum. There was a willingness of people to play. The dynamic of the markets was not the same. So people followed. I was very lucky people followed. Then we got this joint venture with Ardian, which was another <laughs> journey, but it's a very imp impressive uh, success because the team worked extremely well together. And then we got the financial players. So it's more the result of a, a progressive addiction to a, to a dynamic a wave and, a, and an industry and the wish to basically uh, start it another time. I've always also been, even in early kid, I was always basically pushing a little bit the boundaries into doing new businesses, entering into new geographies, trying new business models. So for me, moving into a new kind of angle of the same industry, 
in fact, was not so much a change because I like to look at things in a different way. And I'm doing the same thing as what I was doing in early kid, except that I'm not the industrial guy, I'm the investor, but we are still looking at the same objects, same projects, the same things. So it's a change, new people, new partners, but I'm working with all the guys I know. So it's just, it has a little bit of more of the same in the, in the, in fact. Maybe I'm too long, but that's that's the story. Not at all, I think. But also, Pierre, at the end, you've te- you've teed us up brilliantly because I think one of the pieces that I that I wanted to to kind of follow up on is is um, obviously this is a joint venture effort with with Ardian. How did you come to that kind of uh, position, and how did you find that partnership as a you know a strategic engagement to be the the right one at the right time, if you will. So the real story dates back 10 years before. It's a story of strong legacy and links between people. In fact, first, there is this partnership within 5T with a partner that I get to know 10 years ago when Plug Power was in a difficult situation. The company was uh, on the verge of bankruptcy. The stock market was going down. And so at that time, with Liquid and with this venture capital I had created, we said, we're going to try to help them. We put a bet. We basically invested into them saying, this is a, an important company for the sector. And there was one guy that was ready to do the same. It was my current partner in 5T, uh, Johannes Minorot, who was managing a, a hedge fund. And I said, well, I'm going to bet because I think this is a long story and it's going to work. And so together we helped Plug to refinance very well. And then when I decided to move and to leave the first players to come and say, we're going to support you with plug power, with then Baker Hughes on chart, so three American players. So the first part of the success was the legacy of links I had brought together 10 years before with Plug and my partner, uh, Johannes Minorot. And then with Ardian, basically, when you look at the asset manager playing field in, in France and the ones that are really a broad base, with a very significant asset on the managers, they, they basically manage 150 billion, with a very strong LP base connected to all of the places, with a strong management, with, I would say, very independent management style, no connections to any policymakers or stock market or whatever. So grand, very strong stability and a strong complementarity with what we were bringing. I was bringing in some industrial knowledge to industrial network and they were bringing the financial play, the asset management. We didn't have the asset management skills with us, so we needed to find a partner. And they were by far the most complementary to us. So that's why it worked very well. They also had one very strong practice in what we call infrastructure, which is what we're trying to do now with this hydrogen play, with ICE and with a couple of other players, H2 Green Steel and the other deals we've done. So it, they were complementary because their risk analysis is a way to to bring to the investors some comfort that we are not going to do crazy things. And I think this is how, it, how the fit came. Also, you need to know that in France, Air Liquide has a very strong reputation. So coming from a, a blue chip company, as we say, having done a very large career, having worked a lot with our chair and CEO, who was a very strong, powerful leader on hydrogen, on Air Liquide, of course, but on hydrogen as well, chaired the council. I guess I came with a reputation of... of being not completely crazy <laughs> and so that if I was going to move into managing a fund with uh, I would not do stupid things I, w- I would say so I think this all created that the last element maybe that I should say is that most of my career I've been doing joint ventures and alliances I got already a grand jury prices in my business school on a 
essay on the topic on uh, John Ventus for Thomson. Thomson is the television industry back in the in in the 80s. And throughout all my career, the largest business deals I've done in France, in Belgium, in Russia, but also in China, in Australia, most of them were alliances or GVs. So I've been used to do that, to manage collaboration between different stakeholders. The Hydrogen Council is a collaboration between stakeholders. Hydrogen Europe is a collaboration between stakeholders. And those GVs are in a way more difficult, but they're also more fascinating because they're bringing, if you manage to leverage the forces of the different players, you have a very strong leverage effect. So that all that came into this, uh, this situation, which so far is working well. Yeah, it seems like you're very good at pulling together constellations or ecosystems so that people can uh, work together and, and create something bigger. Speaking of that, I, I know that you have um, over 50 LPs, and despite uh, having an investment from you, I'm not sure I know exactly who they are or the full list. I was wondering how we should think about these uh, strategics that are LPs. Like, what are they, what are they looking for? What is the fundamental sort of gain by by having strategic, both financial and industry investors? I think there are there are three topics. And this is the way I conceived this idea of the fund when, when we started to discuss it uh, within Air Liquid. The first one is the leverage. Is that if you take Air Liquid or Vinci or Total, which are the three French leaders that, that steered that with us uh, next to the US ones, they put 100 million. And thanks to the dynamic, this is triggering a fund of 2 billion. This fund is going to invest with other players and we're going to bring sometimes fine, uh, public subsidies helping to fund the project, plus refinancing. And so the fund should normally mobilize 20 billion of assets. So Air Liquid has put 100, and this is going to trigger a market size of 20 billion. It doesn't mean they will take any of this market, but at least the space to play is suddenly multiplied by more than tw- by, by uh, two, 200, basically. So that's very big. Uh, the second element is, I think, the reputation, the image, and the, the, the walk the talk. I'm trying to build and to contribute to building uh, an element that will grow uh, the sector. And I think that's uh, very interesting because it shows that they're trying to uh, move one step further and to, to bring in uh, the, the other parties and the financial players. And the third element, of course, is that in some cases, there will be projects we will do with some of them, or they will invest with us. So it's not only creating a space to play for everyone, but also a space to play where they have a chance to, to be a player, to supply molecules, to supply equipment. So each of them has a different interest. For the financial players, of course, there is a, an ESG, an Article 9 uh, investment into clean, clean uh, investments. Uh, there is an expectation of returns, of course. But it's also a way for them to have co-investment opportunities, which are going to come with time. If you take very large projects like the one we've done with uh, um, H2 Green Steel has been a lot of co-investment. All the, the project developers we invest into, Hytogen, Elise, Everfuel, uh, they are going to have projects requiring co-investments. ICE is a gigantic source of co-investments. So we are bringing to them, we are the vanguard players bringing to them, opening them market and investment opportunities. So I think it's not a huge risk also, because in a way, 
for those companies. Of course, 100 million, that is a typical ticket that most of them put. It's a huge single amount of money. But if you look at the company size, it's, it's, it's not so huge for large companies like that. Second, if we do properly your job, they're going to have a good return. And uh, third, by giving us, within a regulated world, the ability to work as a fund manager, which means that if we respect the bylaws, we're basically taking our own decisions. It's a way for them to support players that are going to take different type of risks than what they would do alone and do to indeed manage to develop some projects that nobody would have done alone. But as we are together, we can take that risk that they would not take. And I mean, I think um, that probably leads quite nicely into sort of the next question, which is, I guess, a little bit about the sort of actual investment thesis of the fund itself, because as you say, you have quite a lot of divergent and different interests from your LPs. As you said, some have an equipment angle, some have a co-invest angle, some have other sort of strategic interests. So yeah, and and obviously you've been engaging different people over time and the market has obviously moved as well, right? I mean, I think uh, if I'm right, you just celebrated your one year anniversary of the fund relatively recently. These things also take time to raise. So you presumably spent you know, six months thinking of thesis, a year raising before <laughs> now you've had a year. So you're actually three years into the story, as it were. What is the thesis of the fund today, would you say? And do you think it has changed from that original idea that you and the team thought about when you first were putting the fund concept together and going out to market? So the, it's true that the, with time, the, the scoping has, has moved a little bit. First, in, uh, in terms of where parts of the value chain. The, the, the fund has been structured so that we can invest on the whole value chain. But it's true that the focus, at least today, has been shifted more towards this uh, green hydrogen production for serving industries and also into putting the first seeds of those, I would say, hydrogen derivatives, ammonia, methanol, SAF, e-fuels, etc. Even though the long-term view is still to invest in the world value chain, we've seen less of the mobility we expected because the dynamic of mobility is taking more time to go, especially in the heavy-duty intensive mobility, even though we think it's going to come. So that, that's one thing. And the second thing that has changed is that because of the uh, lagging time the, or the time, the time it, had, it has taken to reach out conclusion on the regulatory landscape, we were initially thinking that we would invest very close to FID in terms of stage of project development. And in fact, we have... We are taking, in fact, more steps into pre-FID, uh, so greenfield project development schemes, which is not an issue itself. It's, in fact, the, the range of, of risk returns is wider because you, you need to be careful with the teams and the project. You've got a burn rate that is longer. You've got more projects, so you've got more risk of failure. But if you win... As any developers, you have a better return. So it's a different risk profile from part of the of the of the fund. Also, we are cautious. So we are, we have not overinvested in the first eighteen months. We have taken bets into very significant project developers that we think are advanced, and they are burning their their cash relatively cautiously. So that's it. So we more derivatives, more upstream. Doesn't mean downstream will not come. It's coming as well, but slow. It's more slow, and more pre-FID than post-FID. Just because we need to catch up with the, the growth of the 
the, the growth of the market and the dynamic, the pace of the market. Sorry. Well, well, speaking of slow or maybe not so slow, you know, you've recently announced three pretty substantial, uh, substantial deals in the last couple of months, I suppose. You know, I, I suppose rather than even specifically asking about those, but certainly feel free to share. Were there common linkages? You know, why why those three kind of three projects or three approaches? How did they stand out? Given what you've just said about taking that cautious, considered approach of not not over investing and being targeted. Alors, to be honest, first I think we should split uh, one and the two others. Uh, and second. <laughs> It happens that, that that that's the that's the logic of business. In fact, many of those deals were maturing over already one year, and it took a little bit of time to finalize them, so they came all together the last months. But in fact, we we were on it for for one year. One of those, the the the, the first one is, is smaller today, maybe bigger in the future. It's with a project developer. It's typically what I said. It's e-fuels, e-fuels development, which is very strongly pushed because the regulation calls for it is almost compliant to move the share of e-fuels in the future uh, fueling of maritime and uh, aeronautics and even potentially in the uh, rail, uh, road transportation. So we took the best developers of renewable in uh, in France that we believe are strong track record and we said we, we give them the credentials to move there. So this one is more classic, but it's uh, really on the spot we wanted also a French deal rapidly. The two others are a significant step change in the way we work because we are moving now into a very serious at scale uh, projects. The first one, Green Steel, in fact, we were looking at it for already more than a year, but uh, we were not properly set in terms of bylaws because uh, those players, they don't do hydrogen on the one side on steel on the other side. It's an integrated steel mill, a new DRI steel mill, sorry, to replace typically integrated uh, routes. And, and you need to invest in the whole company. You cannot just invest in the hydrogen. So we had to agree with the LPs that the bylaws could accommodate for that. So we, 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 we went only in the, in, the, in the B series when we were looking at it from the start. But it's a very large one. It's a concrete, tangible a project that's going to start in the next two, three years. It's going to abate 5 million tons of CO2. It's real. It's not uh, pot- potential with certificates, whatever. It's real stuff. It's real green hydrogen, etc. And and us being part and even mostly leading the, the equity side of the investment, which is 1.5 billion, was a very key, very significant step into in terms of the, the level of investment we do, the complexity of the deal, and also the fact that we were really with all the big funds that are now looking very seriously at what he's doing because we basically showed the way. And so now everyone is moving, which is competition for us, but also is good for the sector. The second one, which of course Alicia knows very well, was done of course with Alicia and with Alex, the CEO and the co-founder with Alicia of this company, Intercontinental Energy, is also a very step change, not on, not by the size of the investment today, but what the huge, huge investment dynamic that's going to be required in the next 10 to 15 years. So here we are not only putting a bet into a, a, a project developer, which has very significant pieces of lands for very large power to X projects, the most advanced probably in the world, uh, but also we are putting the stones to build the future of fund managers. Uh, into very, very large infrastructure project of the future of energy. We, we, we are speaking about the new LNG, basically. We're trying to build what should be the new LNG, clean LNG of the future, which is you take sun and wind together, 
You bottle that through electrolysis into hydrogen or ammonia or methanol, and then you ship it to the places which have not enough renewable energy, or you use it locally to do steel, to do fertilizers, or to do heavy chemicals. So I think this is a step change. And we, we will probably do more of that because it's a sign that the scale that is needed for this industry is coming. And so we are very excited by that, of course. What, what is the plan for the next stage of High 24 or, or even for um, 5T hydrogen? Uh, where are you heading? What, where, where are some of your next plans? Uh, I think we, we are trying to really be the hydrogen uh, asset manager. So trying to develop the different verticals or asset classes that are going to be needed to make this industry work. So the next step first for this fund, the, the clean infra fund, which is the one that has invested so far, well, is to continue and to basically manage the assets. So be, be, be participative, active into working with the companies we've invested into so that indeed the FIDs are coming, the CODs, the, the completion of the projects are coming and the value is, is building up. So that's a big focus. The second one is that we are currently raising another fund, which is targeting the equipment suppliers. Because all that is very good, but if the equipment suppliers do not grow in scale very rapidly, we, it's not going to make it. They've had the first funding through IPSE or European programs or US programs to do their first level of, of uh, gigawatt manufacturing, but we need to continue to grow. And they have huge working capital requirement, internationalization, acquisition, and manufacturing, so site manufacturing investment to do. So we want to accompany them. So that's the second stage. And then, then we'll see, but I think we need to be ready to, to size and prepare those very giga investments that are expected beyond 2030. And so with those seed investments, with companies like Green Steel or ICE, we're taking positions to enable that. And 5T is basically the, the center of expertise, of knowledge that I'm trying to, we're trying to, to feed them with uh, people enabling to feed I-24 with uh, IDs and projects. But, but the core of the investment strategies is I-24, this hydrogen platform. This is a very, very large industry uh, potential. So you... Uh, the potential is infinite. We just need to make it happen now because it's infinite with, if we make it happen now. And that's our duty now to make it happen now. And we, we know that, Alicia knows that very well. People that are the developers, which I forgot to tell, the, the only thing I forgot to tell is that we're also trying to bet on the developers because the developers in hydrogen are the ones that are going to shift this industry. It's like the renewable industry 20 years ago, the first one to shift it were the renewable players. And then the large group came in to further develop. We need to get the, 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 the brightest developers to make this happen. And then it's going to become a, a mainstream. No, and I, and I think it was one of the things I was just going to sort of say, just listening to a lot of discussion is, I mean, one of the best um, read or most commonly read um, market reports in the UK that's doing the rounds, it was recommended by um, an investment bank called Longspur. The report's written by a group called S2G Ventures, which is a family office that's doing various investments in clean energy. And the book is called uh, The Missing Gap, or the report's called The Missing Gap. And their thesis, basically, which they go through for data, and I recommend listeners to try, is basically that we get clouded in the data around energy transition. We see the high-level numbers, and the high-level numbers say there's hundreds of billions of capital available, everything is fine. But when you actually dig into the numbers, there is a big funding gap. And that funding gap is kind of straight after venture and before you get to traditional infra. 
And that is, in some ways, the biggest challenge in the energy transition is funding that gap is what is the sort of the posit for that. And that's doing the rounds. It strikes me that that actually seems to be a thesis almost at the heart of a lot of what you're doing, which is finding those businesses, you know, as you say, that are kind of not at FID, but getting to FID, those, you know, ideas and concepts that you need to invest in now to move the market. And I just wondered, do you see yourselves in, in that way as being slightly more of a catalyst and do you feel like you're in something of a unique gap where there's really not a lot of comparable players doing what you do you know i should not say what i'm gonna say but we had some some interesting discussions with your colleagues from our job when we launched the fund because i was regularly saying well we are basically the fund doing venture to infra it's, it's not proper exactly venture because yes we're looking at people and technologies that already work that need to scale and what we're doing is that we're finding the people or the players that are developing the project that will be the infra of tomorrow. But the start is as a very strong taste of venture. So, yes, we're exactly that. But we're exactly that. And if only works, if the regulatory and the funding schemes and everybody plays the game. And this is the key, the key thing that we need to, to make sure happens is that the the game is properly played by everyone. It's, a, it's not yet time for a large competition. It's time for cooperation to make that happen. Because if not, then the thing is going to fall apart. So that's very, very important. That, that's also the very spirit of what we've done. We've gathered everybody with us. And even if they have their own interest, for that, they let us go. And they normally play the game of supporting that. And I think that's a fundamental piece in what we're trying to bring. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is um, collaboration instead of um, competitive, because you have to hit critical mass. And so it's in everyone's interest to get things going quickly and get uh, large markets open. I think mobility has probably been slower because we haven't been able to create that network yet. But uh, it's, it's this is what we have to do first thing. Um, I just wanted to thank you, Pierre Etienne, for um, being on the show. We loved talking to you. And also, um, well, we love you as ICE as an investor. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and, um, and then, of course, I've known you before that as an as a incredible supporter of Hydrogen Council and really the one of the founders. But, um, yeah, it's been a real honor to have you on. And um, I look forward to all of the new new types of, of instruments and new types of, of funds and, and different things that you're going to get into because I know you're always going to find a way to solve every problem. <laughs> Thank you very much from, for having me uh, with you. It was very uh, lively. <laughs> <laughs> So, Chris, what did you think? Pierre Etienne is a quite an accomplished character. Yeah, I think that is definitely uh, definitely the word to, to use, right? I mean, um, we were just talking about it a little bit after. I mean, there really are only three, maybe four, um, in, like sort of groups of investors that have actually been real drivers and catalysts in this space, right? And, you know, High24, AP Ventures, um, Sven, Capital Partners, and uh, I would also argue Falcor, now Elise. I mean, those four basically seeded or were the people that broke the market for so many deals. And I think they've been absolutely transformative 
you know, and I, I think uh, the flurry, and it is a flurry of deals announced, you know, in the last couple of months by High24, obviously yourselves, um, Alicia and Ice, but, you know, also um old friend of ours, uh, Pascal from Elise, and then also H2 Green Steel. I mean, these are all leading innovative businesses. I mean, you're the biggest green hydrogen developer or green fuel developer in the world. You know, H2 Green Steel, first and largest green steel developer in the world, and Elise is going to be one of the biggest e-fuel uh, first mover developers in France and in Europe. So, you know, and Hydrogen, which they backed with 200 million, was the first 200 million ticket into the green e-fuel space, I think, worldwide. So they really are sort of setting the market. And I think that is hugely, hugely valuable. Um, so I, I thought it was great to kind of get that story. Um, and probably the bit I didn't really capture until we'd spoken and he had a chance to sort of go into a little bit more was the value of those LPs. I think that whole sort of angle around partnerships, collaboration, his own personal history and why he thought that was important, his experience from the Hydrogen Council, but then all those different things they bring together. You know, I think sometimes people go, oh, my God, having 70 LPs must be a nightmare. Um, you know, I, I have, I think, 40-something names on my cap table, and I sometimes think, God, that's a lot of people to coordinate. So 70 LPs sounds like a lot to me. But um, I can actually see, and I thought he laid it out really well, all the strategic synergies that come from having people there that can be technology suppliers, they can be maybe even PPA suppliers, they can be raw material suppliers, they can be co-investors, and they open all these different um, doors for you in different circumstances. I think that actually makes them very, very powerful. And probably if we had more time, I'd push them on that and say, you know, how does really an alternative fund come in and challenge that? Because with that level of set to deep knowledge, it's quite hard to see how any pure play financial investor fund, even with the biggest balance sheets in the world, can really understand and compete with a group like High24. Um, I don't think anyone can do diligence and get confident in the way they can or bring the same level of strategic synergy. So maybe another way of thinking about it is what is the next High24 look like? Is there one there left for the ones who didn't make it or do people all crowd into high 24 and instead of 70 LPs, you end up with hydrogen council 150 and that is the vehicle. So that's probably the only thing I would have asked, but um, it was a very interesting discussion. Oh, I think that they'll have multiple funds. So high 24 is not a fund. There's a specific fund that high 24 manages. Um, so I'm sure they'll roll out different ones that have different focus. And hopefully, and I'm sure not all 70 LPs are on the IC. If they have to go to investment committee, that would be pretty difficult. But yeah, I think, you know, he, he's basically taking over an area that other entities have been too scared or just don't want to um, because he recognizes that you have to. And that's that development desert we're always talking about. Like someone needs to do it or there will be no network. There will be no critical mass. And it, it, it took a bit of a jump from him. And then GIC as well has been in most of these investments. So they've been really gutsy and it's necessary. So I, I think it's uh, quite admirable what they're doing. And being an Article 9 fund rather than an Article 8 fund is also really distinctive because the core, the common, the, the fund has to have a reason other than money to invest. They need to make an impact with their investment. And, and that's really interesting. And then with everyone's scope one, two, three, in a way, Europe is going to force the whole world <laughs> to clean their act up because whatever you're doing, you're somebody's scope three. <laughs> and you know, if you want to continue, you, you're going to have to um, abide by the rules. So I think it's, it's just a great thing, a very honorable and, um, you know, really uh, 
brave thing for them to to do. But also, of course, they're very secure in their knowledge of the industry. And with 70 strategics behind them, it's 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 not like it's it's not crazy, but it but it's very um, it's a big deal. And I think really important for the market. I agree. Yeah, maybe 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 to follow on, you know, the logic, I think, here around, you know, being a, a first mover or kind of a gutsy first actor player kind of stands stands out kind of logically, right? Obviously, the experience that PRTN and, and the team have in this space gives them that natural kind of advantage in, in I think, as, as Chris and, and Alicia mentioned, you know, the due diligence and kind of understanding market kind of positioning. I think the other piece, when we talked about the three projects, that mega projects uh, we discussed with uh, Pierre Etienne, what we see with that is one, he, he flagged they're taking a more stable kind of considered approach to uh, project identification and investment and not over-investing. I think that's a very well-reasoned for sure from, from what I've seen in the market, but also it, it also shows a very targeted kind of intent, right? It's it's move when the right project comes in to, to what y'all are saying around positioning. You know, these are people who can identify those projects early and that's that, that gives them an, a natural advantage. It's also just interesting, for instance, he mentioned, you know, in particular, the, the, the kind of um, uh, synthetics play on, on the fueling side, like that's, that's a really interesting one. There, there's obviously going to be some like some level of challenges in that market as well that we can we could talk about for weeks and months but but more practically that leads you closer to existing markets so those projects themselves have an element of flexibility and positioning on the other side at the end of the day this sort of actor puts pressure on some of the conventional energy sector investors and, and i think when i say pressure what i mean is this there's somebody out there with capital who understands this market who can go in and find the best projects. And if you're waiting for a unicorn and you're sitting on the sidelines, you're going to miss out on the best opportunities as these folks start to realize and recognize where they have the, the strongest advantage. So folks like 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 the, the Hyde24 team, leveraging the depth of connection and positioning is only a good thing for this market. It helps accelerate the the kind of uh, recognition of value in the market. It also is going to improve the overall kind of scrutiny, I think, that probably will occur as well up and down the, the value stream, all of which will turn help turn this from a, you know, still maybe out there in the future play to a really tangible, observable, identifiable market. I'm speaking at a general level. At, at any moment in time, you can take some of these points and apply, I think, to specific projects. And, and I think that's that's exactly what that team has done in picking out these three strategically strong positions and going in with, with a, a big position. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing what they do next, which is a common refrain, I think, for, for all our guests when we, we have them on. Yeah, I think I'm sure they'll come up with some more creative things to do and, and you know, as you go along, you run into problems and get creative and some of the best things happen that way. But yes, as you're saying, they, they, it's not like they just started doing deals in August and, you know, did a flurry of them. I mean, all of them, we had been talking for maybe a year. Um, so they, you know, do very thorough due diligence and also talk to other co-investors. And um, it's, it's a very in-depth process. 
that seems like it all was announced at once. Um, it, it didn't actually all happen at once. <laughs> and they're, then they're very thorough, but in, but in a good way. I mean, in a way that I, I feel very confident that they'll be able to abide by these Article 9 um, directives and and will be on top of a lot of these things that needs to be that needs to be done in the whole supply chain and so I think they make a great partner and obviously the, the ecosystems are just so helpful uh, even just hydrogen council which is sort of the brainchild of his and others there are only thirteen original partners it, it's just fantastic how much you learn from other companies you're not competing They're, they might do something completely different. But you learn their perspective, and it's it's very helpful. And I guess the, until we have this really large amount of you know hydrogen or ammonia or whatever is created, I don't feel like we're in the competitive land. I think that we're in the we got we got to build this out, build this uh, you know to scale. So I, I think um, I'm really happy that they're jumping in now and not waiting on the sidelines. That was Everything About Hydrogen, hosted by the team, Patrick Malloy, Alicia Eastman, and Chris Jackson. If you have a question for the Hydrogen team or any of our guests and would like to get in touch, you can shoot us an email on info at h2podcast.com. Or alternatively, you can follow us on LinkedIn or tweet us. Our handle is at About Hydrogen. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.